0: You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. I really love that song and I I like the music video, I think, even more. But just as we sang this morning, that our heart and our love for God is not dependent on our our circumstances in the moment. And as we sang this morning that we will continue to praise God despite what's happening, when we come to the end, I can't remember exactly what 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 they say now, but when we come to the end, that we will still praise him. We have so many reasons to praise God And there's so much that we learn through trial, and so much we learn through hardship. However, it can also be challenging when our expectation of life and our expectation of what God is going to do doesn't seem to fit, doesn't seem to happen like we think it should. I found this uh, little picture It says, my focus is on you, Lord. And it references Hebrews 12.2. And the truth of the matter is that how we respond to trial and hardship affects the outcome. Hebrews 12.2-3 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 then says, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Where do you fix your eyes when you feel like life is getting out of control? When things are happening outside of your sphere to be able to manipulate and control the circumstances? Do we fix our eyes on him or are we completely enthralled by our circumstances that where we put our eyes. For consider him so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. If your eyes are always focused on what is wrong, you'll grow weary and you'll lose heart. But if your eyes are on what is good, What is God doing in that moment? He'll bring you through it. Have any of you ever been driving where you hit a patch of ice or you hydroplaned a little bit on the highway and you began to lose control? What do you do in that situation? You know, one of the things that they teach you in driver's school and driver's ed is that you always look to where you want to go that if you start to lose control of your vehicle, don't look at the lamppost, don't look at the sign, don't look at the building, look to where you want to go and your body, your body will correct itself and take you there. And it's an interesting phenomenon that how big is the lamppost? I don't know if any of you know off the top of your head what the circumference or diameter of, of, a, of one of those wooden poles would be. But even say it was one foot. There's probably a hundred feet of empty space in between the poles. Why is it that so many times when you see someone who's veered off the road, they hit a pole? And the pole's only this big, and the space in between the poles is 100 times the size of that pole, or maybe even more. It's because they start skidding off the road, and they think, don't hit the pole, don't hit the pole, don't hit the pole, don't hit the pole, as they collide with the pole. Do you ever do that in life? Do you ever aim for the very thing you don't want and hit it every time? I know I have, many times. And sometimes, you know, it's not a, oh, God, why me? It's a, God, why me again? Because it seems like I have to learn this lesson over and over and over again. So decided to give me the title pastor. Just joking. Um, <laughs> this is just to tell you that there's nothing special about me other than the fact that I have Christ in me. That I'm no, I'm standing on a little bit higher than you right now, but only because I want to see you. When I stand on the floor, I'm not as tall as Pastor Lance was, so I can't see you guys at the back. And I want to be able to see you because I'm speaking to you guys back there too not just the people in the first two rows. But where do you look when life is getting out of control? See, we gotta check our heart. We gotta know where we're fixing our eyes because if we're not careful, our attitude can shift. And our, oh, what happened to my video? Got disconnected? It's not working. This next slide is the best part. Okay, let me try this. Is it back? Let's see. Is it back? Perfect. So if we're not careful, our prayer life can turn into this. The person above me cannot follow directions. Has this ever been you? (laughs) When life's not working out the way you thought, you, you go from focusing on Jesus to, God, why can't you get this? You know what I want. Why isn't it happening? As if God is this magic genie. That the first wish granted us salvation, and the next wish was to have unlimited wishes that God would just grant whenever we ask. God is a big God. God a God that we won't fully be able to understand in this lifetime on this side of eternity, but he's given us glimpses of himself through his word, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to know him intimately. Isaiah 55, 6 through 12 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he is abundantly, he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, and make it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed, furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word, will, which goes forth from my mouth, will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Verse 12 ends with this For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Who wants joy of the Lord? the joy of the Lord in their life all the time. Who desires to be led with peace? These are two distinct things that God gives to believers. He gives joy and he gives peace. And how is it that we can have joy through all circumstance? How is it that we can have peace through the storm? Because Christ lives in you, Christ lives in me. The God who raised Christ from the dead, the power of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. And his Holy Spirit is a comforter and he'll comfort us in times of trial and he will give us joy as we need it. And the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord is not determined by our circumstance. is determined by the inner reality of the kingdom of God in our life, pouring out into the other external areas of our life. I want to say something here that um, having joy and having God's peace does not mean that you're not real. It doesn't mean that you don't feel things. It doesn't mean that you don't tell God what you're thinking when you're thinking it sometimes. And, you know, when I read through the Psalms, maybe you guys have had this thought too, especially with the Psalms of David. In the very same Psalm, you'll hear him crying out to God in despair. And the very next verse, praising God for his faithfulness. but he knew where his help came from. And it was from the Lord. It was not in what was happening. And just as sometimes you look at David and he seemed like this manic depressive, where literally one minute his life was over and the next minute he's praising God. That's, that's real faith. That's where God knows what we're thinking. He knows the desires of our heart. But the problem is if we stuff it, if we, if we aren't real even with God, we're going to be emotional basket cases and we're not going to grow in emotional maturity. And we cannot grow in spiritual maturity if we're emotionally mature. They go hand in hand. Our emotional state and our spiritual state are linked. They're very, very linked. And so I want to say this, living life in victory is is not avoiding the problems in your life or pretending like they're not there. It's acknowledging them, giving them to God, having the joy in your life despite the circumstance, and being led by the peace of God, and allowing the Holy Spirit to show you what you can do in the natural to change those things, and give God the supernatural. Give God everything else that you cannot control. You know, sometimes in life we make decisions and sometimes there's things within the sphere of reality that we have control over. And one example I could give, it's, it's New Year's, and I know many people have New Year's resolutions in January. I did not do any New Year's resolutions this year, so I can't be disappointed. But no, that's not the real reason. But, you know, New Year's resolutions, a lot of people, they they call it like the the gym fever, right? For the first two weeks of January, the gyms are just packed with all these people that paid for these memberships and are really eager to get in there and lose some weight. I was not one this year, by the way. But, you know, they go in and they start to lose heart. And after, you know, probably not even by February, kind of the regular people, the people that are the go-tos every day, every week, those are the people that are still going to the gym. But that is something that I can sit at home eating a bag of of munchies, Hawkins Cheesies. Oh, a Canadian favorite. Who doesn't like Hawkins Cheesies? When I was growing up, I have a special relationship with Hawkins Cheesies. This is really, really bad of me, but my grandfather always used to have a little container that had some nuts, some salted, some unsalted, and Hawkins Cheesies. And it didn't matter how stale these things were. You could throw the thing through a plate glass window, I would still go and eat it because they were so good. I know I had to throw that in there. I just love Hawkins cheesies. But, um, <laughs> but in that situation, you know, as I'm sitting there eating my Hawkins cheesy, I could be, God, Lord, help me to lose weight in this moment. God, make these cheesies into cheese sticks with broccoli on the end and, and you know, and, and allow these, you know, but that's not the reality. What I put in is what I'm going to get. What we put in is what we're going to get. And there's some things in life that we have dominion over. There's some things in life that we have dominion over that we can control. What we put in our mouth and what comes out of our mouth are things that we have full control over. What's happening in our heart, that's what God changes. That's God's work. We give him our life. We give him his heart, and he transforms our heart. The Christian walk is not about behavior modification. It's not not about trying to twist someone's arm to act a certain way or be a certain way or dress a certain way or speak a certain way. But when the Holy Spirit enters into a man, he can change him in a moment. And we always have to watch our attitudes. We always have to watch what are we thinking? What are we allowing into our life and what are we letting out? And if we don't like what's coming out, it's probably because we're putting in something that we shouldn't, whether it's Hawkins Cheesies, or whether it's it's diving into some spiritual things that we shouldn't be, or it's watching movies we shouldn't be, associating with people we shouldn't be, involving in certain activities that we shouldn't be. But I don't need to tell you what those are, because the Holy Spirit will tell you what they are, because you'll know. Because when you're doing it, he'll convict you. You'll know. And you don't have to do anything that tempts you. The temptation is not sin. Did you know that? The temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted, yet did not sin. The Holy Spirit will give us the power and the strength to overcome temptation. But we still have to make the decision not to do something, even though we're tempted. And so our relationship with God, it's this partnership It's God leading and directing us in his peace, giving us his joy. But we still got to make decisions every day. And every day we get to choose. Are we going to choose life or are we going to choose death? Are we going to serve God or am I going to serve my own selfish ambition? And it comes from the condition of our heart. The main point that I wanted to make this morning with this message is trials in your life, they don't define you. They refine you. The trials in your life do not define you, but they will refine you, make you into the man and woman that God has called you to be if you let him, while still standing on his word, while still praying for healing, while still praying for things that are upside down become upright in your life, but doing it with your eyes focused on him, drawing into a close relationship with him. Verse Peter Peter 3.7 says, Blessed be the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while it's necessary that you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The mark of spiritual maturity is when you can go through hell on earth and you still praise God. You still hold on to his promises. You know his word is true, and you persevere through the trial in faith. And this morning, I, I want to look a little bit at faith, and specifically the faith of John the Baptist. And um, a few, probably four or five weeks ago, I was preaching on um, from Mark chapter one, and um, in verse fourteen. It says, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And this got me thinking about John the Baptist and about Matthew 11, where John is imprisoned. He's sitting in a prison cell. After um, telling off Herod, um, one of the patriarchs, Herod Antipas, he he took his husband's wife and married her and was living in sin. No, wait, he took his brother's wife. Pretty hard to take your husband's wife. Although today, you probably could do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, it tells you something. But um, so he took his brother's wife and and, uh, and married her. And John is preaching the gospel and end. He tells Herod right out that this is sin that you're living in. This is not right. That you're not living by the law. And Herod gets really, really angry and imprisons him. The Bible says in Luke that he wants to kill him. But he has reservations because the people know he's a prophet. They recognize him as a prophet. And he even, in his own heart, recognizes him as a prophet. And so he doesn't want to kill him because he doesn't want an uprising. And so he imprisons John. And while John is sitting in prison, Jesus' ministry begins and Jesus is going out and he's healing and he's doing amazing miracles. And um, John sends his disciples out to where Jesus is in Matthew 11 It says this. He says, his disciples say, we come with a message. John wants to know, are you the chosen one? Are you the expected one or should we be looking for someone else? And people have debated this question for many, many years. Was John the Baptist doubting that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, the expected one, the one that was to come. And uh, I've read different commentaries on this, and um, there's kind of two main ways of of viewing it that I've found. One is that, oh no, John would never doubt that Jesus was the Messiah, and he was doing it for the benefit of his followers. That um, John knew his time was up, and he didn't want his followers to fall away, so he led them to Jesus. One of the other Um, ways of viewing this that I I found that was most prevalent was that John in his humanness, that he was a prophet, a man used by God, but he was also a human being who was sitting in prison, whose heart was discouraged, and he sees what Jesus is doing. He sees the miracles that are happening. He sees the fulfillment of the book of Isaiah, things that the Messiah would do. And he's sitting in a prison cell, and there's certain things from the book of Isaiah that he knows should be coming, but he's not seeing them come to fruition. And so he sends his disciples to ask, are you, is it, you know, what's happening here with this? And and um, that's, that, that's what I want to look at today was what was in Jesus, John the Baptist's heart that day. And there's no way to really know. There's no way that I can stand here and tell you what John the Baptist was thinking or what was in his heart. However by analyzing a little bit of Matthew 11 and specifically looking at Jesus' response to John the Baptist, I think there might be some clues as to what really was behind that question. Um, It says this um, in verse 11. If you have your Bibles, you can open it to Matthew 11. We'll be starting at verse 2. Now, when John was imprisoned... He heard of the works of Christ. He sent word of his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? So was John the Baptist doubting that Jesus was the Messiah? we got to remember now that John the Baptist, he was cousins with Jesus. And uh, when Mary and Elizabeth met, um, the Bible says that John the Baptist, he like leapt in Elizabeth's womb. And he recognized the spirit of God in Mary's womb. And this is the same John the Baptist that when he saw Jesus coming towards the sea of Galilee said this is the anointed one. The man who is, is, is so worthy that I, I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. And this is the John the Baptist that baptizes Jesus. And as he's baptizing Jesus the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and the Father audibly says this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So this is giving some context, that when Jesus and John met at the Sea of Galilee, there was no doubt in John's mind that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one. All this happens, is it possible that John the Baptist is still doubting who Jesus is, despite the the fact that he's hearing back to him from his disciples everything that Jesus is doing? I think something else that's interesting about this story is Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to him, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor of the gospel are preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. The Bible says as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go to see? A man... Dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are living in kings' palaces. But what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, the one who is more than a prophet. He is the one whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist." So Jesus gets this question in front of a crowd of people. Are you really, in fact, the chosen one? John wants to know. Jesus then responds by quoting a bunch of scriptures from the book of Isaiah. And then he gives John the Baptist this huge tribute, saying he's the greatest man who ever lived. Now, I don't know if you'll recall, what often was Jesus' response when people doubted, especially his disciples? Did he usually give them a tribute and praise them? Usually it was a response more like, oh, ye of little faith, or get behind me, Satan, or how much longer must I bear to be with you? Jesus doesn't do this with John the Baptist when this question seemingly of doubt arises. Instead, Jesus responds by telling John's disciples to go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Now this right here that's underlined, this here Jesus is referencing Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Interesting. Okay, so he responds with Scripture is this something that Jesus has done before? Has he ever, you know, is, is, sometimes it must have been frustrating for the disciples when they just want a clear answer. I wonder if sometimes they thought it was like talking to a politician. They ask this and he says this. But what's amazing is that when Jesus would respond in scripture by quoting the prophets of old, by quoting the Old Testament, one, it, it verified that the Old Testament, that Jesus believed the Old Testament was truth. But two, it means that we need to take note of what you, of what the scripture means. And so here, we have Jesus quoting scripture. And um, Isaiah here in Isaiah 35. So we see these things happening. So John the Baptist is hearing reports of blind, of the blind, of the deaf, of the lame, of the tongue being unmuted. So John is hearing of these things. John tells him to go back and tell him that this is happening. Jesus then also says that the dead are raised up, which um, likely could be referencing Isaiah 26, verse 19, which says the dead live and their corpses will rise. Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you see and hear, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of the gospel preached to them, The poor have the gospel preached to them. When have we heard Jesus quote this scripture before? Does anyone know? Well, this scripture here comes from Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Now, some of you will remember in Luke chapter 4, or shortly after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, of being tempted for 40 days, He goes into the synagogue and he's handed the book of Isaiah and he opens up the book and he reads Isaiah 61. He reads out loud, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Luke 4 then says that he closed the book gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And while all eyes were fixed on him, he declared, today the scripture has been fulfilled by your hearing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. And I believe that as his Disciples came back to John, and he began to, and they began to quote back what Jesus t- said to tell John. As soon as they got to this scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. That John would his ear would have been leaning in. Why? Because what comes immediately after? He has sent me to bind up the broken heart to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Where's John the Baptist at this point? He's sitting in a prison cell. He's rotting in prison with his life very, very close to being over. Very likely. And I believe, just what, but from studying the scripture and looking at, at what Jesus here chose to include in his response to John, that John is sitting in prison, really the heart of this question to Jesus was not so much are you the Messiah but are you going to fulfill all these things from the book of Isaiah I'm sitting here in prison I want out God when, Jesus when are you going to release me from prison I see all these other things happening the death death deaf are, are being healed the mute are speaking Jesus omitting that he's going to release the captives and set the prisoners free, but choosing to include Isaiah 26, verse 19, that the dead will be raised to life, I believe could be a message to John, saying that you will not be released from prison, but you'll be raised from the dead. I can't verify this 100%, but I think it's interesting that Jesus chose to omit the second half of Isaiah 61, the part that was most pertinent to John, but includes Isaiah 26, that the dead will be raised, the corpses will rise. Sometimes in life, There'll be things that we don't understand. John fulfilled his role. John fulfilled the role that God created him to fulfill. But in that moment, I wonder if John knew that his role has completely been fulfilled, and that he wasn't going to be released from prison. I think if he knew that, he wouldn't have sent his disciples to ask Jesus this question. I think it's likely that in John's in John's heart, he was he was. He was growing weary because he he knew that the people wanted him dead. And his life was nearly going to be over unless God intervened and he was released from prison. And God didn't do that. Sometimes a prison can be an external force on our lives. But sometimes a prison can also be our bodies, and I know this last week, um, Linda Spellcheck passed away. Many of you will know her, and um, she was a woman who suffered a stroke many years ago, and um, many of our friends at, at Victory, at Harvest Life, Victory Church there, spent a lot of years um, with Linda, serving her and helping her, bring her to church, and she was in church up until the very last Wednesday before she passed, even though she was in excruciating pain, I was told, that one of her only ways to communicate with the outside world, because she was pretty much completely debilitated, was by speaking with her eyes through this this chart sign. And even though she was in excruciating pain, she needed her cognitive ability to communicate with people and to be able to, to hear the word of God and to be encouraged in that moment. And so she didn't, she went off all drugs, all painkillers, so that she could be in her right mind And even though she was in excruciating pain, went to a Wednesday night church service. Talk about faith, eh? And I don't know, John, how many years would she have been? Like 30, 30, 35 years she lived in that state. That literally, John the Baptist prison was a cell, but for her, her prison was her body. And praise God that she, she's walking today in eternity. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to understand things. Like she was a woman of faith. I don't know how many people would have prayed for that woman for healing. Like I, I don't even think we could say hundreds. I'm sure it's in the thousands of prayers that Linda had received. But the faith that she exhibited in her life and, you know, especially even for myself, those days that, you know, the patch wakes up and doesn't want to go to church, you know, she was there every single Sunday, every Wednesday that she could up until her last moment because she knew that her faith ultimately lied in, in Jesus, that, that this was not the end. Her faith was in God. And she was not debilitated by her circumstances, that her faith, she had life, eternal life in Christ. And she knew it right to the last day. Growing in faith through the trial. Sometimes we don't understand, but we believe. And, you know, like I said earlier, the kingdom of God is inside of us, waiting to be released. And there'll be some of you in this room that God is going to use in amazing ways that will bring healing to people. That you will lay hands on somebody and they will be completely healed in Jesus' name. God will do it. And we're moving into a season, especially I think in the West, where we're seeing a new hostility towards religion and the church. And we've had it pretty easy going. Pretty easy going. But I think over the next 25 years, we're going to see even a harsher shift, and which is harder and harder to, to, to be a person of faith in the Western society. And there are going to be times and trials that come our way. But I want to encourage you this morning is that there's hope in Jesus and that he has not given us a spirit of fear, of timidity. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind so that we can go in boldness and preach faith and preach truth to the brokenhearted. And just as Jesus Came, he sent that he would bind the to bind the brokenhearted to proclaim ca- liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. He's still doing that today, and he's doing it through the lives of of people like you and me. And he's going to continue to. And we're going to be be seeing these things more and more and more. Um. To finish this this morning, I um, want to conclude with with a video, and uh, the first video that we watched, the music video, it was. Um, the big the daddy weave video the lady that was in that video she wasn't just a random actor that they chose but she was somebody who had gone through a huge trial in her life and when they put that video together um, she was acting out of her own from her own heart from her own heartache and from her own victory that God had given her and um, I just wanted to share and conclude this service um, with her testimony of how good God is despite the trials and how our faith and how our response to those things um, can change everything for the glory of God. So, here we go. Amen. And there's someone greater at work within you in your trial, in your circumstance, in your life right now or wherever you find yourself and whether right now you feel as though you have the hope of the Lord in you, whether you're being led by the peace of the Lord or whether you're severely lacking in need of some hope this morning, there's hope for you. There's hope in the person of Jesus Christ who transforms lives. Who redeems the seemingly unredeemable. Who takes the most evil things and can transform the human heart. And take the most vile person and make them completely beautiful in his eyes. Clean and fresh and white as snow. There's hope for you this morning. If you need a little bit of hope, I encourage you to come up to the front this morning. We'd love to pray with you. Father, I thank you this morning, God, that you are good. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, that you are our salvation. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are good, regardless of the circumstances. God, I thank you that you are love. Lord, I pray that your love would surround us those this morning, God, here that have a broken heart. Lord, I thank you that you are a healer. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you are here. Lord, would you heal? Heal the bodies, Lord, and the minds, the emotions, God, of those who are broken here this morning. God, I thank you that you bring hope even through the hopeless situation. God, I thank you that you are a God that brings hope, a God that brings life. And Lord, regardless of our circumstances, this morning we are going to choose to worship you and praise you for our hope, for salvation lies in you. We're going to declare that you are good, that you are great. God, especially when we don't understand, we're going to put our faith and our trust in you to our last breath. Lord, you've given us the breath in our lungs and we're going to praise you with it. So God, I thank you and I praise you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.